many Adventist business people don't think in terms of how they can actually use their business as a mission enterprise. They still tend to be more locked into, well, the profits I make, I can pay my tithe and give my offerings and help. Preaching the word is not sufficient. We need to actually put Christ's method of ministry into practice where we we mingle with people and we show sympathy and we minister to needs. And what better way to do that than through a clinic or through a, a health food store, etc., to make those important connections. Today, I'll give you another reason why missional entrepreneurship is so beautiful, powerful, and also relevant. I've invited Gary Krause. He's the director of Adventist Mission at the General Conference. I'm not sure if you knew, but we as a church need business people to finish the work. In fact, using entrepreneurship to spread God's love is super effective, and Gary and I want to talk about that. Now, before we dive in, let's find out what Gary is actually doing. How does his job look like at the General Conference? The Office of Adventist Mission cares for two things. Uh, we're based at the Adventist World Headquarters in Silver Spring, Maryland, and we care for two things. Uh, one dimension is global mission. And some may remember that some 30 years ago in Indianapolis at the General Conference session, the church voted the global mission initiative uh, for some time Church leaders had looked at the world map and they saw that there were some parts of the world where the church was doing well, other parts of the world the name Adventist hadn't even been heard. And so the Global Mission Initiative was to start new groups of believers among unentered people groups. Uh, we had tended to look previously at geography, then this helped us start thinking in terms of people, people groups as well, because there's some parts of the world where We've had a church for 100 years, but it's only reached a small segment of the population. So um, we care for church planting in new areas. Then the other aspect of what we do is mission awareness. So we promote the general mission work of the church. What happens with your mission offerings? Uh, so we produce the mission quarterlies and mission spotlight and, and all these sorts of things to try to get the good news about mission out to church members so they get some idea of what happens when they give give their mission offerings. Now, under global mission come all sorts of good things, like we have global mission centers to help us better reach people from other world religions, other people groups. We have urban centers of influence. We have tent making, tent making which is encouraging people to go to strategic areas and find a job in their area of expertise, but they have a, a larger purpose, and that is to, to share the good news of Jesus. So I could speak all day about your introductory question, <laughs> Vincent. No, that's exciting. I, I love that. And I also love Mission Spotlight. Uh, we have, you know, I've been to many churches around the globe and always seeing those videos. is a, It's just very encouraging and very motivating. And it's also very practical. Uh, thank you for being here. Today, we want to actually talk about business as mission in the Adventist church. And uh, that's a very exciting topic because we have uh, a lot of missional entrepreneurs listening to this podcast. And uh, the first question that I thought of was what role did business play in the Adventist church when you look back in time? Yeah, I'm not a historian, so I can't give a comprehensive answer to it. It seems to me that, you know, there have been various approaches to business within the church. Um, one of the 
one of the stronger approaches, I think, has been where lay people feel that their business is there to help the church financially. And so they would run the business basically as you would any any secular business. The only thing is that they give, faithfully give their tithe and they'll give some offerings to various projects, etc. Um, and that's fairly widespread. But I think in recent times, we've been thinking a little bit more seriously about well, how can the the business itself be a mission enterprise? How can I how can I leverage the business so that it can actually be a form of outreach in itself, not just running a secular enterprise that makes contributions to the to the church, but more officially, uh, denominationally, uh, we have actually we actually have in our DNA a a very strong uh, entrepreneurial business uh, de- uh, approach to things. So, you know, from the very start, um, we were we were starting Adventist schools. Uh, it wasn't too long before we were starting Adventist clinics, and we started Adventist hospitals. Uh, we had uh, Adventist publishing houses, and we have Adventist media centres and Adventist health food companies, and. It's probably in the area of the uh, of education, uh, hospitals, and health foods that we've probably had the strongest impact through history, and so we have seen these enterprises as one helping generate uh, funds for the church, but also we've seen them as opportunities to educate the public, the community, and and also contribute to the well-being of the community. So one of the most successful uh, health food enterprises is one that comes out of Australia, the Sanitarium Health and Wellness uh, Company. And, you know, you look through their goals and their aims, obviously they want to make a profit, and they do, and they make a huge contribution to the church in the South Pacific and around the world. But they also have a, a goal to educate the public and help the public eat better, more, more healthfully. So we have kind of a, a fairly rich history in the area of business. Now, some have been more successful than others, and we've seen many, for example, of the health food companies go out of business, but we still see them happening in various parts of the world, South America, Northern Asia Pacific region, South Pacific. So we've been fairly diverse in our enterprises. Publishing, of course, still, still is very strong in, in many parts of the world as well. Why is that good? Why should we actually emphasize on that point and, and, and just really focus on it? Um, how does business support the church's mission? Well, I think, for example, of when the Adventist church sent its first missionaries to Australia uh, from North America. And as you look up the makeup of that group, that party of missionaries that went, uh, sure, there were pastors, preachers among them, but there were also specialists in health food and specialists in printing. I'm interested to see that this this initial party, I don't have the numbers with me here, but I think there was actually more business-oriented people than there were ministers because they realized the importance of using institutions to connect with the community. Uh, so I think right from the very first we realized that we needed to find ways to engage and connect with our communities. And just um, 
just preaching the word is not sufficient. We need to actually put Christ's method of ministry into practice where we we mingle with people and we show sympathy and we minister to needs. And and what better way to do that than through a clinic or through a a health food store, et cetera, to make those important connections. So I think at the official denominational level, uh, businesses were started because they were seen as enterprises that would help us better share the good news about Jesus. But then later, of course, as this church started to grow, we find business people and entrepreneurs who are lay people who then have leveraged that for mission to various degrees. As I say, I think there's still still there's a default position where many business people don't don't think many Adventist business people don't think in terms of how they can actually use their business as a mission enterprise. They still tend to be more locked into well, the profits I make, I can pay my tithe and give my offerings and help special projects. So I think it's one of the one of the many things I like about the Hive International Enterprise is it's helping us to think a little bit more holistically about what mission can be and what it can do. It's not just something to generate money, although we want it to. We want businesses to generate money because we want to use it for good. But but the businesses themselves can be an avenue of mission. And I think that's that's in something we need to find better ways of doing. Thank you for sharing. Uh, now, there is one part of business uh, or of this topic business that, that you know, Alan White already started to talk about. It's a, it's a term that we have been using uh, here and there. You, you listener might have heard it before. It's called center of influence and what that is all about and, and also what we can learn even from uh, from other people out there in the world. Uh, we're going to hear about that just after a short break, so stay with us. Hive is your number one platform for missional entrepreneurship. Start, grow, and scale your faith-based business with us day by day. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just look for Hive INT. That's Hive International. Hive INT. Let's change this world and the world to come together. Welcome back to the Hive Podcast. My name is Vince and I'm here with Gary Krause, Director of Adventist Mission. Now, Gary, I wanted to talk about centers of influence. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? What does that mean and why is that important for us? Yeah, good. Thank, thank you. Centers of influence, of course, is a term that's used today in business and marketing uh, to refer to people, uh, people who can help you build a network of contacts. And so an influence, an influential person in the community is a center of influence and you want to make a connection with that person because they will then connect you with other people. But the term goes back a long way and Ellen White used it herself, um, Ellen White, co-founder of the Adventist Church, prophet of the Adventist Church, she used the term in many different ways. She talked about uh, cities as being centers of influence. She talked about people as being centers of influence. She talked about Satan as a center of influence. She said Jesus was a center of influence. But she also used the term to refer to uh, platforms in usually in urban areas that could be used as springboards for ministry. And so under that term, she referred to things such as 
treatment rooms, uh, health centers, vegetarian cafes. She called them hygienic cafes for a reason because most restaurants back then were not hygienic, so she recommended hygienic ones, and and places where people could come to read or or whatever. So basically she was talking about centres that would be platforms for holistic ministry that we could connect with the community and share the truths of God's word with those people. And so uh, under under during her time, we see um, a growing number of restaurants and cafes across North America, and then we saw them into Europe and other places, uh, for example. So when, when we talk about centres of influence today within Adventist Mission, we're talking about businesses that are operated in urban areas with a goal to start new groups of believers. And we see them as springboards for putting Christ's method of ministry into practice. So around the world today, we, we literally see hundreds of these centres of influence. I say that there are two types of centres of influence. One type is the one that is funded from our office uh, where we give some seed money to help it grow. Then there's other centres of influence that have been started up by church members or by local churches or by conferences, and they haven't asked for one cent of funding from us. And the second type is my favourite type because in in a way it's it's organic, it's come from the local level, they have seen the need for it and they've funded it themselves, and, and I like that. Uh, of course, all the ones we fund also come from the local level. We don't sit in a committee room at the GC and deliberate and we say, oh, yeah, we need a centre of influence over here and this is what it's going to look like. No, every proposal has to come from the grassroots because the local field knows exactly what is the type of thing they need in their area. And so we we encourage centres of influence to become self-sustaining and so funding that we give runs out after three years and we expect there to be a plan in place that they will be able to continue the centre of influence uh, without our funding after that. Now, I've got to be honest with this because I think that there are some centres of influence that may never become self-funding and those centres of influence may still be worthwhile having because, you know, missions, conferences, unions, they don't think twice about having a line item for public evangelism. Well, why not have a line item in the in the budget for centres of influence? Because we know that this is a God-ordained method of reaching out to our communities. And so sometimes we just need to keep subsidising. But even better, if they can somehow be generating revenue that keeps them, keeps them afloat financially. Yes, that'd be great. And um, I know that we have certain centres of influence right now in the world who actually are sustainable and who are um, you know, just making a difference locally. Um, can you share, I don't know if you have one story that you can think of right now. Do you have one example, one maybe one story you personally have heard uh, that has touched you uh, where you know, okay, this is a center of influence. It's, um, it's making uh, progress. We're reaching people. Uh, just kind of to encourage our listeners that this is actually a method that also works. Yeah, well, one of the, uh, just yesterday, we, uh, we were in our mission board strategy and funding committee where we vote various um, global mission church planting projects for funding and also centres of influence. And and one came up called Happy Hand in Denmark. And somebody on the committee put up their hand and said, 
didn't we fund this project already? This we've heard that this has been around for for some years, and I was very happy to answer and say yes, we did help this center of influence, Happy Hand in Denmark and Copenhagen many years ago. But now they have they're on to their fourth or fifth center of influence in cities throughout Denmark. So they're in four or five cities now where it's become. Um, it's a franchise. It's like a franchise. So the basic, yeah, the basic concept has been taken and then used and adapted in other cities. And Happy Hand is a is a basically a thrift store. It's a secondhand store. So the one in Copenhagen is on a very busy street, and literally thousands of people go past every day. Uh, a, a lot of it's foot traffic, but also cars and other 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 traffic and. In this store, they have secondhand clothes, household goods, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But when you walk in, you feel that you've there's a different atmosphere. There's music playing. There's also a place there where people can write their prayer requests. At the back, there is a prayer and counselling room, and and it's a way that the church is able to connect with people they would never be able to connect with otherwise. And every week a pastor comes in for at least a day to help in the store and be able to meet people. And here you have secular post-Christian Denmark with a place where you can write your prayer requests and people are writing their prayer requests. And the beauty of Happy Hand is that it appeals to poor people because the goods are cheaper, but it also appeals to upper-class richer people because they believe in recycling for the environment. So you're getting different uh, strata of society coming into the store and of an evening or weekends, then in that space they can hold seminars, they can hold concerts, whatever. So so that's one one that I'm thinking of. I'm also thinking of another one in Bulgaria in, in Sofia. I've not visited there. I've just seen the reports of it. But this was actually started by some lay people, a cafe. And again, the same sort of setup where it's a space where they can have seminars and concerts and talks, etc., um, of an evening or during various times. And what I love about this is that it was started by some lay people who who wanted to put Christ's method of ministry into practice, but they'd never even heard of the term center of influence. So unwittingly, they started a center of influence. Um, so... Vince, you know, you see, you, you see this being repeated in various ways. Now, I'm not going to say that every everyone has been 100% successful, and I'm sure that as COVID settles down, we'll see that it's had its uh, impact on some of our centres where, you know, it just wasn't profitable for them to continue. But we thank God that so many have continued and and uh, and are moving forward. Amen. Another thing I just want to add is that. We've known about this concept for more than 100 years, and we've seen at various stages of Adventist history that we've, we've done it, we've dabbled in it, but we've never really had a strong movement of centres of influence. And it just intrigues me to see that so many other organisations, I'm talking about businesses, corporations, are actually taking the centre of influence model and establishing what I call secular centers of influence. So, for example, where I live here in the Washington, D.C. area, there's a bank called Capital One Bank, and they've started a series of Capital One cafes. 
what are these cafes? Nothing other than a center of influence. They they want to promote their products. So you go into the into the Capital One Cafe, which I have done in downtown DC, and it's a space there where they have computers set up, and then they have their their ambassadors walking around to help you with anything. So if you're wanting to open up a bank account and you're having trouble, no worries. They'll come over, look over your shoulder, they'll help you. You want to get a loan, they'll help you. You want to sit down and have a drink, make yourself comfortable. There's a space there for nonprofits where they can meet for free. They can use the Wi-Fi. They can even do their, uh, they can use the um, video conferencing facilities for free. And it's a space to influence people to use Capital One Bank. You look at Starbucks coffee. Starbucks coffee, they're not planting churches, but they're planting centers of influence. These are are spaces for people to come in and converse and and, and whatever. Uh, You look at at Apple stores. You look at the way that Apple stores are set up today. They are centers of influence. And the list goes on. So... You know, Jesus said that sometimes the children of of darkness are wiser than the children of light, and we see that big business sees the need for moving from behind the counters of a bank to actually come out and connect with the clients. Uh, Apple Apple computers, they're not compare, content to just sell online. They want to come and mix and mingle with you in the Apple store and uh, an influence for for Apple computers. So that's just something to throw into the mix for consideration. Yes, thank you for mentioning that. I I think it's very powerful and uh, also kind of sad to think about it that we have been a little behind. You know, we have had this calling, we had the uh, opportunity or the opportunities, and now the world is coming along and you know saying, hey, you know we're doing this. And uh, most, like if you think about Starbucks, right? Uh, you mentioned that as an example. Uh, most uh, businesses uh, that you just talked about are way more successful and have been doing this uh, way more effectively than we uh, maybe have been doing it in the last couple of years. Now, what can we do now? I mean, you have different people here listening now um, to this podcast. Maybe you have some sort of an, you know, advice that you can share or encouragement that you can share. Um, what can we do? How can we get involved? Um, how can we change this paradigm? You know, as I, as, I, as I look at the way that businesses are being run today, um, it's particularly interesting for me because we're coming out of the COVID pandemic where everything's gone online and we're doing virtual this and vir- virtual that. But businesses talk all the time about connection. They're constantly talking about connection. Apple talks about connection with their clients. Um, Starbucks is they're talking about connection with their customers. And they're they're not content to make so-called connection over the internet. And, And we see in our churches that many have had to go virtual, where we've had online church services, et cetera, et cetera. These are are good things to help us through a difficult situation, but they can never substitute one-on-one connection with people. The Savior mingled among men as one who desired their good. We need to physically connect with people, and and business is one of the best ways for us to do that. Uh, It's hard to do it from within the four walls of a church building. Business, you're out in the marketplace. You're there where the people are. You're going to where the people are. And so I would encourage 
anyone listening who's interested in business, um, if you're already running a business, pray and plan and think and brainstorm about ways that your business can be more than a generator of tithe. Think of ways that it can help you connect with people for the gospel. Those of you who are entrepreneurs and perhaps thinking about a startup, don't think about startups that will just generate money. Think about startups that will connect you with people, uh, that will provide a platform where you can make those connections so that you can actually be putting those steps of Christ's method of ministry into practice. And I would just encourage all of you to, to again, think of business more than just a a generator of of, of funds, of, of money, of profits, of revenue. Think of it in terms of uh, something that you can use in and of itself to connect with people on a spiritual level. And then also think about the way that you run the business, because I think the, that your goals, your, your uh, what's the word for it? Your, the ethos of your company is v- the values of your company speak volumes. And, you know, you look at, you look at, I go back to Starbucks again, because you know, they, you look at their goals and their values, it's almost like it's a spiritual sort of goals and values. They're talking in terms of making, making better communities. They're talking in terms of making a contribution to society. Yeah, bringing inspiration to the people as well, right? I like that. Yeah, putting a bit of flair and inspiration into it. So, yeah, so I, I think on those three levels that our businesses can connect. One, by modeling an ethos of... of a flourishing ethos of, of of high values where we're respecting people, we're caring for people, we're an ethical company, we're, we're concerned about the community, we're, we're actually concerned about the environment because it's God's environment. Secondly, we're looking at how we can use that business as a way to connect with people where, we can, where it allows us to connect with people at a spiritual level. And thirdly, when God blesses it, that we can then use those funds not just for ourselves, but to expand his kingdom, his mission. Amen. Thank you so much for sharing that, Gary. Uh, it's, uh, it's really inspirational. It helps us to see that um, there is a need out there and um, it's not that difficult to get started. And uh, we are very excited that uh, our church is doing a lot to also make that happen and that we have the support, you know, not only locally, but, you know, internationally. Uh, that we can, uh, you know, find these centers of or fund these centers of influence and uh, and grow them, and so I, I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you so much for taking the time to come and, and be on the show. Oh, my pleasure, Vince. And just if anyone's interested in in looking at some samples of centers of influence that might give you some creative ideas to bounce off, you can go to urbancenters.org, and there you'll see many stories of different centers around the world. I want to encourage you as well to just go out there, make connections, start your business, scale it, get out, change your community, change the lives around you. We've been sitting around for too long thinking that we can do this in our free time. Let's become full-time missionaries. Let's use the unique talents God gave us to finish His glorious work. If you have a goal, if you have a dream, if you have a business and you need some help, we're here for you. Write us at hello at hiveinternational.org. Join our weekly newsletter for constant business training. And don't forget to visit urbancenters.org to check out more centers of influence. You've been listening to The Hive Podcast. My name is Vincent Bujor, and I'll see you next Monday.